Hey, creep. I want to tell you a tale, if you're ready to hear it. It may not be pleasant. It may not end the way you want it to. But this story is gripping and as fascinating as it is shockingly horrifying. Are you ready? My name's Cole, and you're listening to Tales. About 20 kilometers from Morgantown, West Virginia, where old brick buildings and gabled church roofs live amongst the Virginian woods, just a short drive away from the king-covered bridge that seems ripped from Sleepy Hollow, connecting West Virginia and Pennsylvania, lived the Neese family in Star City. Skylar Neese was the only child of Dave and Mary Neese. Born on February 10, 1996, Skylar Neese was a stubborn, compassionate, bubbly, and intelligent girl. She had grown up as the only child, the only funnel for the abundance of love her parents, Dave and Mary, had to share. She grew up much like any girl, laughing and playing, making friends, losing friends, crying. But when Skylar was in second grade, she met Sheila Eddy, and the two instantly connected, becoming best friends. Sheila was five months older, but the two girls saw a likeness in one another. Perhaps because they were both only children, or perhaps it was two lonely girls looking for someone to confide in, to lean on. In 2010, Skylar and Sheila started high school at the much larger University High School, where Skylar was an honor student, and also where Skylar and Sheila would find their third musketeer in Rachel Schoaf, an aspiring actress and singer who also happened to be an only child. The three girls began to get closer and closer the more they hung out, and as they got older and could stray a little further from home away from the watchful eye of their parents, and as high school began to expose them to older children, they began to get into mischief. Not serious trouble though, nothing that would truly make a parent worried, but the sort of mischief any of us would have gotten into in high school. The girls began to break curfew, skip school to hang out and drink. Parents and friends of Skylar and Rachel claimed that Sheila was the bad influence on the two, the reason why the three of them began to find themselves getting into trouble. Sheila seemed to be the instigator, the one to bend the rules, and I assume Skylar and Rachel felt that hanging out with Sheila was liberating. With Sheila, they had a friend who would always be down to buck the rules, to encourage them to dip their toes in the wrong waters. Some of Skylar Niece's friends, though, didn't feel the same and began to avoid hanging out with Skylar, and Rachel's friends began to feel the same way. They blamed Sheila for the changes they saw in Rachel and Skylar. But regardless, the girls were thick as thieves. Skylar looked up to Sheila, but Rachel had other reasons why she wouldn't abandon Sheila as a friend. Like I said earlier, Sheila allowed them to break the rules and Rachel felt this more acutely. Rachel Scholl had grown up in a religious and affluent household. Rachel was also more popular than Sheila was, so it wasn't admiration she held for Sheila, like it was the case with Skylar. Rachel simply wasn't able to break the rules, and she wasn't able to explore that aspect of growing up that seemed more infinitely fun with the friends she had grown up with, all friends with similar religious backgrounds. But despite what anyone said about Sheila, 
that she was mean, that she was evil, and that she was the bad one of the group. Things were completely normal and completely fine when it had been just Skylar and Sheila. But once Rachel entered their world, the macabre and murderous puzzle was complete, and it wouldn't be long till all three of their lives would be changed forever. The three girls moved through to their sophomore year much like any other high school student struggling to stay interested in high school. Minus Skylar, of course, who was an honor roll student. They were discovering the opposite sex, starting to date and go to movies, holding hands, perhaps going to a party or sneaking out late at night for a kiss. But in late summer 2011, things quickly became tense in the group when Skylar was put in an uncomfortable position. Sheila, Rachel, and Skylar were having a sleepover and sneaking a few drinks. During their mischievous little sleepover, Sheila and Rachel began having drunken sex together, while Skylar was in the room unsure of how to react. That sleepover ended in Sheila and Skylar arguing, and a fissure between the two began to form. As Sheila and Rachel were becoming closer, Skylar began getting excluded. Rachel and Sheila started dressing alike. If Sheila wore a striped shirt and a denim skirt to school, so was Rachel, walking in tandem looking like twins as they sauntered through school, which Skylar would ultimately be left out of. Sheila and Rachel began looking down on Skylar like she was an immature little sister who had to tag along, and they began to resent her for it. The problem was, she knew a lot about Sheila and Rachel. She'd been their best friend after all, and every little secret they'd formed over the years. Skylar knew them all. Skylar tweeted one day, I'd tell the whole school all the stuff I have on everyone, which is a lot. Hashtag if I could get away with it. In fact, arguments which could have happened in privacy between Skylar and Sheila began popping up on Twitter with more frequency. As Skylar fought to be included, Sheila and Rachel begrudgingly tried to shake her loose. The pot started to boil in early June 2012 as Skylar and Sheila went on a week's trip to Myrtle Beach. And while they should have been spending their time sun tanning, surfing, splashing around in the water and ogling boys... Skylar and Sheila spent the entire week at each other's throats, fighting and arguing over every little thing. When the two girls returned home and parted ways, thankful for the separation and distance, Sheila quickly ran to Rachel, looked Rachel in the eyes, and told her that Skylar needed to die. Would you guys rather suffocate or get shot? Get shot. Shot. As way it depends on where. Would you rather in the head? Shot. Shot. There would be no suffering at all. Eaten by ants or suffocated? Suffocated. Drowning or suffocating? Suffocate. It's almost the same thing. I know, but it's not. Right because in their head. if you were on a pillow. Sheila's call for murder wasn't a surprise to Rachel, though. Teachers and fellow students had overheard the girls talking about the best way to kill someone and dispose of the body nearly a year earlier in October of 2011. This hadn't seemed odd at the time, as a few weeks before they were overheard talking about the various methods and pitfalls of human body disposal, a body had been discovered, not far from where they lived and while at any other time, this casual conversation would have raised a red flag. 
Given everyone's darkened thoughts around the recent events, it seemed normal that the girls would be discussing such dark matters at school, as a way to cope with their new acute sense of mortality. But according to one of the students who overheard them, they were specifically talking about Skylar. The student did go to Skylar and tell her what she had heard, that they were talking about how best to hide her body. But Skylar laughed and shook her head. They were her best friends. They wouldn't do that. It was nothing but an absurdist game and nothing to worry about. Still, Skylar did confront the girls about the conversation, but they assured her it was nothing. In spring of 2012, there was another red flag, though. Worried that Skylar might blackmail Rachel and Sheila, Rachel emotionally exclaimed to another student that she wouldn't mind if Skylar died. Rachel even half-jokingly blurted out, we should kill her in the middle of a science class. Sheila's response was nothing but laughter. Skylar was aware of the poor state of her friendship with Sheila. At this point, it was apparent that their friendship was reaching a point of irreparable damage. But Skylar still thought of her as a best friend, even as a sister, as best friends often do. Skylar's niece still had no idea what was coming next. Skylar made one last tweet before her sense of trust and friendship was flipped on its head. You doing stuff like that is why I will never completely trust you. Stress will be the death of me. Sick of being at home. Thanks, friends. Love hanging out with you all, too. It was Thursday, July 5th, 2012, and Skylar had just arrived home from her long shift at Wendy's around 10 p.m. The sun was dropping past the horizon and dusk was settling in as she came through the door and removed her shoes. I can assume she was tired after working in the summer heat, with the sun blaring through the windows, so she quickly kissed her parents goodnight and went up to her room to settle in. But around midnight, Sheila and Rachel asked if she wanted to go for a ride. It was late, and while Skylar was getting older and her parents were slowly letting go of the leash, she knew she shouldn't be out so late. But Skylar snuck out of her room, placing a small bench beneath her window and got into the car with the other two girls. After being excluded for the last few months, she just didn't want to miss out. Skylar didn't know, though, that in Sheila's trunk, there was a shovel, fresh clothes, towels, and bleach. Things were perhaps a little tense, but overall normal during the car ride as they meandered and chatted and played music. Sheila eventually drove down the single lane of Morris Run Road, parking about two kilometers after the turn onto the street, and they all got out. They were chatting and laughing with one another, but when Skylar started walking back towards the car to pick up a lighter, Sheila and Rachel started to count to three, and on a prearranged signal, unsheathed the knives they'd kept hidden in their hoodies and began to stab Skylar over and over. Skylar struggled and tried to run, but Rachel quickly jumped to tackle her to the ground. Skylar fought back, grabbing at the wrists and at the knives, trying to stop the two girls from killing her. And eventually, Skylar got a hold of one of the knives from Rachel and cut Rachel above the ankle. But sadly, she was overpowered and stabbed over and over until Skylar was dead. 
The girls standing above her stared down at her as she died. In Skylar's dying moments, she only asked, why? Sheila and Rachel had planned to bury Skylar, but things don't always go according to plan. Maybe it was karma or a divine hand that interceded on behalf of Skylar. Or maybe it was purely poor planning. The ground was rocky and as Rachel and Sheila tried to dig their shovels into the earth, they heard nothing but the clinking and grinding of the shovel against rocks. The earth was not loamy and soft like they had assumed it would be. All their discussions about disposing of a body, of the perfect crime out the window now as they dragged Skylar's body over to a big tree and covered the corpse with rocks and branches. Sheila and Rachel then went to the creek, washed off and disposed of the bloody clothes and knives. But in the calamity of the evening, they forgot Skylar's cell phone next to her body, turned off and hidden in the darkness. Rachel and Sheila arrived back at their respective homes before dawn and slipped into bed as Skylar's parents were getting up early to go to work. Both Mary and Dave Niece saw Skylar's closed door and assumed she was still sleeping, but when Dave, Skylar's father, arrived home around midday so that Skylar could borrow his car for her shift at Wendy's, he found no one home and Skylar's room was locked from the inside. It was then that he noticed the bench sitting outside Skylar's window, the window into Skylar's room ajar, and no Skylar in her room, and realized that she had snuck out at some point the night before. Dave Niece called Skylar, but her phone was off. Dave then called Sheila to see if she had seen or heard from Skylar. Although she did admit to talking to Skylar on the phone around midnight, she hadn't seen her. Soon after, Mary, Skylar's mother, got home, and Skylar's manager from work called to see where Skylar was for her shift. The situation was getting increasingly worrying for Skylar's parents, and they wasted no time in calling police. It was when police were contacted that Sheila was called and changed her story. Sheila was now admitting to her and Skylar joyriding the previous night, but according to her, she had picked Skylar up around 11 p.m., and returned her home at the end of the street, less than an hour later, and before midnight. Mary, Skylar's mother, turned to Facebook to express her concern. Angel, she actually came home from work and snuck out her bedroom window when I was in bed. Sound familiar? We have security cameras and they show her getting in a car with someone, but none of her closest friends seem to know anything, and no one has seen or heard from her since. She has not even showed up or called in to work, so that is a little scary. That is all I know at this time, still trying to find out anything I can, but either no one knows or they are not talking. A little later, Sheila and her mother arrived to help Dave and Mary look for their daughter and began knocking on nearby houses, asking if anyone had seen anything or heard from Skylar, but they found nothing. Mary and Dave Niece then asked the landlord for the surveillance footage. But while viewing the footage, no one knew at the time that the car they were looking at arriving at midnight was Skylar entering it voluntarily, while that car was actually Sheila's. When police arrived and viewed the security footage, their assumptions were even more disparaging and damaging for Dave and Mary. 
instead of receiving assistance in helping locate their daughter. Police assumed she had gotten into the car voluntarily, so she must have run off with a boy, and would be home a few days later. It was nothing to worry about. And because Skyler was seen getting into a car voluntarily, police were unable to issue an Amber Alert, because Amber Alerts were only for abducted children. After Skylar went missing, Sheila played the victim, writing a post on Facebook that read, Skylar, come back. I seriously can't deal with school without you. It's been way too long. I miss you too much. Love you and can't wait to see you. Investigators assigned to the case from the local police department were joined by an FBI agent. Another person had gone missing in the area a couple weeks previously, and they assumed the two might be related. The FBI agent decided to talk to Sheila once more on June 9th, three days after the murder. Sheila sat in the interrogation room smugly, confident in her story, repeating it time and time again, that she had picked Skylar up at 11pm and dropped her off less than an hour later, about a block away from home. But something struck the FBI agent, Sheila seemed more intrigued by the investigation than she seemed worried about her missing friend. And it was when Sheila came in to be interviewed by the FBI that the local police detective in charge of the case realized that Sheila had a silver car and linked her to the security footage. The next day, investigators called Rachel, who pretended she knew nothing about Skylar's disappearance. Rachel had left for church camp July 7th, but the morning of the previous day, Rachel had been out boating with her mother and a friend, who both noticed the nasty-looking cut inflicted on Rachel by Skylar fighting for her life, and it was agreed that Skylar would show up for a face-to-face -face interview with investigators when she arrived home from church camp. But on arriving home from camp, Rachel never showed up for her scheduled interview. Eventually, after much badgering, investigators got their interview with Rachel, but when they did, she told the exact same story as Sheila. Investigators felt uncomfortable with this story, as it became increasingly obvious that the degree to which the stories matched, well, they had to be rehearsed. A month passed and they were still no closer to finding out anything about Skylar and her whereabouts. Mary Niece, Skylar's mother, was increasingly anxious and unhappy with the lack of progress and contacted state police who took control of the investigation. Warrants were then issued to seize the electronic communications between Sheila and Rachel, and the state police also reviewed the surveillance tapes several times, and then finally rewound the tapes further back to 11pm, where Sheila and her car were nowhere to be seen. She had told police she had picked up Skylar at 11pm. That was all a part of her alibi. But it was now apparent to authorities that Sheila and Rachel had been lying. Rumors began to swirl at school surrounding Sheila and Rachel. And while Sheila constantly tried to insert herself into the case, acting buddy-buddy with the state police, inquiring about the case, Asking Dave and Mary, Skylar's parents, for information regarding Skylar, police and the community were starting to solidify their suspicions surrounding the two teens. Sheila was handling the pressure, treating this all like some elaborate game of catch me if you can, but Rachel was having a harder time, 
feeling the pressure mount on her more and more as time went on. Investigators saw Rachel starting to unravel and pressed her, interrogating her with the newfound CCTV evidence, asking how could they have picked Skylar up at 11 if they weren't seen on camera, and that's when Rachel changed the story once again. Her story was this. Skylar had suddenly run off into the woods, and Sheila and Rachel had looked for her, but were unable to find her searching nearly till dawn. And that's it. And then Sheila changed her story to match Rachel's story. It was then that Mary Niece, Skylar's mother, made a lengthy post, explicitly calling out Rachel and Sheila, and insinuating that Skylar had possibly been murdered. That's when Sheila and Rachel's Twitter accounts were inundated with hate mail and death threats. The suspicion of an entire community was now upon the two teen girls, and as a result, Rachel got into a fight with her parents, locking herself in a room and threatening to kill herself. She was then hospitalized. On January 3rd, Rachel, in an interrogation, after only a few pressing questions, admitted to state police that Sheila and herself had stabbed Skylar until she was dead. When asked why by police, Rachel only had this to say, we just didn't like her anymore. Rachel agreed to take police to the location of the body, which she did, but because of the snow was unable to point police to the exact location. The snow had to melt first, and two weeks later police returned, with the snow now gone in a canine unit. Six months after Skylar's disappearance, police found her skeletal remains. On March 13th, the autopsy concluded that the remains were indeed Skylar's and revealed that Skylar had been stabbed at least 50 times. It was also on March 13th that Sheila tweeted this. Rest easy, Skylar. You'll always be my best friend. I miss you more than you could ever know. Then a month later, Sheila menacingly tweeted this. We really did go on three. On May 1st, Rachel surrendered herself to police and appeared in court. Charged with first-degree murder, Rachel Schof pleaded guilty and as part of a plea agreement of a recommended 20 years in prison, agreed to testify against Sheila Eddy. Sheila was then arrested at Cracker Barrel while eating with her mother. Sheila pleaded not guilty on September 4th to the charges of conspiracy, murder, and kidnapping, but part of a plea bargain, pled guilty to 15 years to life, with eligibility of parole after 15 years. Ms. Eddy, have you heard what the prosecutor said the state's evidence would be? Yes, sir. Is that substantially correct? Yes, sir. Is that what happened? Yes, sir. Ms. Eddie, are you entering a plea of guilty to the offense of murder in the first degree, the felony charged in count three of this indictment, because you are, in fact, guilty of this offense? Yes, sir. Skyler was a victim of murder, but Skyler doesn't have to live with the pain of losing a child. Her parents live on every day, having their only child taken from them, a child who they poured the entirety of their love and care into who they were proud of, 
and with her, a piece of Dave and Mary niece died, a piece of their heart gone forever. Her life was taken too soon. Skylar was plucked from the world before she even had a chance to live fully by people who she called friends. There is nothing more despicable and heinous to me than the betrayal of friendship. There is nothing worse to me than having friends betray you and take your life. This to me, my creepy friend, is worse than any serial killer, not by severity of damage done, but by the sheer callousness in which it would take to kill a friend. I hope you creeps pick your friends well. I hope they are friends who would have your back and not stab it. My name is David Neese. I'm Skylar's father. Um, I'm here today with my wife, Mary. I'm speaking to you on, on behalf of my daughter because she can't be here. On July 6th, she made a decision to leave her house and go through a window and supposedly go with two friends, and I use that term. I'm sure you know what I mean. When we learned that she was missing, we immediately went to the Star City Police who couldn't do anything with us, so they uh, just listed her as a runaway. Since that date, my life, my wife's life has drastically altered. We are no longer a family. The person sitting before you, Scott, our so-called friend, took her away from us without any remorse or feelings. You can look into the eyes of those who are responsible, but you can never hear what they heard as they were taking her life. You can see the faces of the killer, but you can't see Skylar's face. You can never understand the fear that she must have had as they took a knife and ended her life. You cannot imagine the pain that Skylar must have felt and the pain that Mary and I now feel. Your Honor, Scotter deserves to be hurt today. So, Creep, that brings us to the end of our tale. If you enjoyed today's story, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. They are so incredibly important in increasing the audience and getting these stories out. And more importantly, Every single five-star review gets me one step closer to getting out of my mother's basement. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at Tales by Cole. This episode was written and narrated by myself, Cole Weavers, and production and editing by Matt Black. And remember, creeps, take care of one another, stay safe, and don't forget to lock the door. 